Hello, and welcome to Stasis Pod, the Beast Wars podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. And today, for our 15th episode, we're looking at The Spark, an episode <gasps> that when it, when it first aired, there was great joy. And, and yeah, then when it is... ended, uh, the universe wept. This is such, <laughs> such a big deal, great, important episode here. Oh, yes. So, yeah. I'm excited. And not excited. just because it compelled you to buy a new toy. It did. <laughs> not only did it compel me to buy a new toy, it compelled me to check Toys R Us daily until that new toy showed up. Oh. And yet I still maintain Razor Claw is the cooler toy than that wave. Eh, he's pretty good. But he's not a, a girl. Cr- oh, it's not a girl. He's a crab, and he's got spooky claws. Okay. Uh, first aired November 11th, 1996, uh, written by show co-creator Larry Dottilio, Yay. Yep. Uh, which makes sense because this contains a pretty important part of Beast Wars and later Transformers as a whole mythology. Yeah, it's something, oh, yeah. one of the, the things from Beast Wars, really, there's, there's a lot of stuff to Beast Wars, but there's not a lot that can really be retroactively applied to Transformers as a whole in the way this was. And mm-hmm. and it's really something that's shown up in... I mean, it, it was pretty much absorbed into all Transformers conceptually after this. It's in everything. It's in the live-action movies, it's in the IDW comics, it's in the new TV shows. It it's everywhere. Up, ended up in a subline title. Yep. Yes. So, it's yeah. the single most important contribution to the show, and I'm saying that above and beyond, let's reboot this once every three years because it makes the brand keep alive longer. Yes. So it was really because prior to this, and, you know, again, this is coming in as someone who who was very heavily involved in G1 fandom stuff. Before this, there, there really wasn't much about Transformers as, as Cybertronians, as a race. That was really very well explained. I mean, the cartoon took almost a very atheistic view of it, that they were just machines that had been built. And if you wanted to build some more that looked like dinosaurs, you could build some and put a Commodore 64 in their brains so that they can't (laughs) talk proper English. And they did later come up with the whole Vector Sigma thing, though it's kind of funny that that came in after the Dinobots had been built, because it's like, so did the Dinobots just not have anything like that? Yeah, it evolved. They're slowly just the soulless abominations. But but yeah, they were any Transformer was rather obviously different from a robot, or at least human build. Like if a Transformer builds a robot, it's another Transformer. But if a human builds a robot, it's still a robot. Yeah, like Nightbird. Yeah, Night, Nightbird is very obviously still a robot. Yeah. Even though she looks like a from 1995 yelling at you about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, really the answer is they did not think about it that much. Yeah, that, that was really the big answer is that obviously whoever came up with the idea of Vector Sigma, for instance, hadn't applied any of that to anything back when the Dinobots were built or when the Constructicons were built or any of that. Yeah, it, it does. So then they retconned that the Constructicons had been around for a while, I guess. Yeah, the Constructicons have three origins. It, it, it seems like a weird thing to leave out of the story Bible about your alien robots, how your alien robots are created. It just sort of filtered in from... souls. Yeah, they have souls. And we find out they, in this they, episode. They were clearly taking the Mystery Science Theater 3000 approach to world building during G1. Well, yeah, it's, it's old cartoons don't... Just repeat to yourself, it's just a cartoon designed to sell action figures. I should really just relax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the comics, which I, I think I mentioned before, I was sort of odd for knowing a lot about the cartoon, but caring more about the comics... 
because I didn't actually discover the comics until the 90s when I was a teenager. But uh, but that had the whole Primus origin, but it never really... And you could still, even in the comics, you had the Matrix, which was used to create new life and basically serve the same function as Vector Sigma, except then in the cartoon with the movie, they decide to introduce the Matrix to the cartoon continuity. And who even knew what it did at that point, except play the touch when you opened it? It was a giant uh, I, coconut. Yeah. So in in the comic, there was that, but they never really said in either the cartoon or the comic what exactly it was that either the Matrix or Vector Sigma imbued. And sort of the impression that I would have taken away at that point would be that their programming as people was so complex that it wasn't something that Wheeljack could just whip up. I mean, it's like just having this, you know, a couple dudes who can just build AI just out from yeah. scratch. And but but this is where we really for the first time had something solid that we could point to and say this is what makes them alive. This is what functions as their soul. And because it's not like it was a very good solid idea and there was nothing really else to contradict that it pretty much stuck around it pretty much got used in everything afterwards because you needed something to distinguish them from the robots that were building cars on a production line in Detroit so that was really the the impact that this episode had was to give a name and a, a solid definition to this concept that the series never really managed to, to get a name or a definition for before. Hmm. All right. So on with the episode. We uh, we open in space. There are stasis pods because this is a stasis pod episode. But because it's a maximal stasis pod episode, you're going to have to wait till the end of the show to find out what toy Hazard wants you to buy this week. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Oh, yes. Well, or at least you're going to have to wait ten minutes until you see an animal that hasn't previously appeared on the show before. And becomes pretty obvious that's what the one's going to be on. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah it's but, like, hey, we had to make this animal model. Now we're going to have some foreshadowing. Yeah, Although I, I will note to my regret that we see frogs a couple of times over the course of Beast Wars, and we never got a spit or. Oh, uh, that's a shame. Yeah. 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 I, I want to give him credit for the stasis pod scene. It, it is neat. Nice. It getting knocked out of orbit and the way it behaved after getting knocked out of orbit is a lot better than we've seen in the previous stasis pod episodes. Yes. Yeah. Some good physics. Sorry. Anyway, so it uh, it gets uh, kind of messed up on its way down. It's uh, you know various internal mechanisms are damaged. The uh, protocons detect it. Uh, notably, uh, Tarantulas detects it first, and appears to have some plans for it. <laughs> Disturbing, yeah. creepy plans, yeah. almost. Well, certainly. I mean, presumably not the same plans as last time. Maybe, maybe he figures he'll try again, or maybe he really wants, like, a harem of Sundere spiders to just <laughs> hang around and not really Yeah, that really was basically like my him. assumption. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, I've got the Sundere one, now I need to get the Moe one. Yeah. He just wanted to be in a harem anime. That's what it comes down to. Is Tarantulas is working on the cast of his harem anime. <laughs> He saw some Tenchi Muyo subs, and he's thinking this is actually a pretty good idea. Uh, well, I guess we'll, we will find out in a couple episodes that he does have other sinister, non-sex-related plans for a stasis pod. Aww. And I think this is the first hint that Tarant... I mean, you know, we know pre from previous episodes that the Tarantulas is a weird creep. Yes. Yeah. But I think this is our first indication that he's a weird creep with sinister ulterior motives. Yeah, he yes. he seems to have an agenda now. Yes, as it he's were. a creep with actual plans that don't involve just being creepy. Yes, does that make him any him different from any of the other Predacons? But or from Scorpion? <laughs> Waspinator? Yeah, I mean Waspinator theoretically has plans, but <laughs> well, <laughs> he has plans. Ideas, but yeah. for Waspinator. But, I mean, those plans are probably, I don't know, I'm going to move out and get my own place. 
Tarantulas' idea... Once the nader gets job. Waspinator stay up late and eat ice cream for dinner if Waspinator wants. Once the nader have whole freezer full of hot pockets. Tarantulas wants to get the pod, but oh, surprise, Megatron's there. Well, Megatron's dinosaur head is there first. Yes. On one shoulder, and then so the pops up on the other shoulder to, to harass Tarantulas. I love when he does that. Mm. So good. Yeah, and the pod is coming down in a weird... It's wobbling, so they can't exactly specify where it's going to land. But it's supposedly coming down in Grid Scavos. Which yes. is not really a reference to anything that I'm aware of. It. It's, it feels like it should be a reference, and to be the closest thing I can think of is is Scaro from uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, that was my thought. Yeah, it could be a reference to something non-fandom. How's that? Yeah, it it could be. Yeah, it could be a Greek reference or something. We don't know. Yeah, it it feels like something, but it apparently isn't. And and then uh, Tarantulas and Megatron snark at each other after Megatron tells him what to do. It's like. Tarantulas calls him a tyrant lizard, and or no, calls him a tyrant, and he's a tyrant lizard. And then uh, Megatron calls, says, a treacherous arachnid. <laughs> Which is kind of the first indication that he's treacherous. I mean, we yeah. know now that he's super treacherous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But in general, his treachery has taken a backseat to pterosaur's treachery. Yeah. Yeah. And his treachery, as far as him personally, has taken a backseat to him being super creepy. Yes. Yeah. So in, instead of sending Tarantulas, because again, weirdo, they say he sends Scorponok and Black Arachne to get it, presumably hoping. Actually, he, those two get paired off a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I guess Megatron wants her supervised. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's pretty clear soon that, that yes, he wants her supervised. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, here this, it's not really as clear as it may be in later episodes, but he's maybe getting an idea that She's got her own thing going on. Yeah, she she's also smart, has smart but plans. not loyal. He's loyal but not smart. Together they add up to one decent soldier. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and in previous episodes, it's proven that Scorponok can't like watch over Tarantulas because Tarantulas will just bug off and doesn't care. Just leave. Yeah. So he has to keep Tarantulas close, so he has to send Black Rachnia out, and Scorponok's okay enough to watch her. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily, a couple of Maximals happen to be around as well, as both Rhinox and Cheetor uh, see it falling. Yeah, they, they spot yes. it the old-fashioned way. Oh, it's crashing. I should go find out what that is. I should go see what's going on over there. Its trajectory really did not look erratic. It's that low in the atmosphere. It's stabilized at that point. Okay, yeah. That's fair. And Rhinox's transformation roar in this scene was really kind of scary compared to how they usually are. Yeah, yeah, also it seems weird that, like, as soon as he sees it crashing, he transforms to robot mode and then runs after. It's like, when you get there just as fast? Rhino? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, Rhino mode is kind of large and thuddy. And it yeah. seems to be like a rocky terrain, so maybe those Rhino, you know, stumpy uh, legs can't handle it. Maybe yeah. he just played Crackdown and wanted to traverse a city-like area like in that game. <laughs> also, I have to note that Oh, why am I out in this remote setting away from the maximal base? I was looking for Energon. Yeah. Didn't find any. Yeah. It's just a plot device to set up characters and he found the show some. Yeah, but, but yeah, that that does. It, it's a real too much Energon situation. Yes. Yeah, he's near uh, Energon geysers, which are weird. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's unstable. Can't get to any of it. This was pointless. And so we, we, you know, we get the Rhinox Cheetor pairing for most of this episode, and we haven't really seen those two interact a whole lot. Not really. Yeah, pretty no. neat. It's different. You know, obviously, you know, Rhinox sort of has the the lead role, but uh, you know, I think they work well as. And this would unfortunately sort of become a pattern for Rhinox. Well, he's you know, whereas he's sidelined doing science stuff and sort of sending Cheetor to defend him. Yeah. yeah. You know. Someone else needs to, you know, keep him safe. I have to work on the plot of this episode. You do some action to keep the kids entertained. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we this almost becomes a uh, three-hander, but when Cheetor uh, radios Tigatron, but he doesn't in this uh, he isn't in this for too long. The uh, <laughs> Tigatron, who is conveniently not in the Arctic at the moment. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's wherever the writers want to use him when they remember he's there. He's yeah. wherever you need him to be, baby. Yes. Does Cheetor yeah. using yeah. a pointless code name for Tigertron count as Cheetor does something stupid, or is it too inconse- inconsequential for that? Cheetor has some terrible interjections in this uh, episode. I counted both hopping helix and bouncing breakers. Yeah, if we, if we count every time Cheetor said something silly as Cheetor does something dumb, well, he'd be off the scales at this point. And we we also get an okay. ultra gear in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought they earned that one at least. Uh, it's not good. <laughs> so Rhinox gets to the pod first, cracks it open. It's super messed up. Yeah. There's uh, the pod is broken. It's getting energon radiation. They and uh, a really neat fake depth of field shot as they were showing him messing with the uh, stasis pod. Yeah. Mm. Totally faked it because they did not have the computation power to do depth of field in an <laughs> engine while they were rendering it at the time. And I can yeah. tell you exactly how they did it, but it looked really good and it worked. And proud of him for it. Yeah, it was probably was really a good work. And I'd like to see him do more stuff like that. Probably a composite shot they seem to be doing there, maybe, you know? Well, at least that's exactly what it was. Composite shot, Gaussian blur on one element, then Gaussian blur on the other element, and just cross-fading between them. Yeah. Well, that that made precisely as much sense to me as uh, Rhinox's Technobabble did in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Made sense to me. I I assume they also had to donate their locking chips. (laughs) Yeah, Adobe's kind of a stickler for getting those. (laughs) So, uh, Predacons are on the way, but uh, luckily, Tigatron comes across Scorponok first and shoots him with a freeze ray, which I was not aware he had. Yeah, well, you know, because... Makes sense, but you got to do something. But and, and thus begins the domino effect of one guy shooting another guy shooting another guy shooting another guy. Yes, and as, as spiders are wont to do, Black Rackney gets the drop on Tigatron and shoots him full of cyber venom, which kind of sounds like a broken juicer. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. But but she she probably intentionally used Scorponok as bait. Probably. That does seem likely, especially with how fed up she was with him earlier. Yeah. Yeah, she's kind of done with him. Yeah, she's kind of... They've kind of locked down her personality at this point. Yeah, that, that's actually one of my notes. It's like, well, well first, Scorponok is sucking up, and then B.A. has a personality! Exclamation. Yes. She's... They've, and, and again, that's good because this is one of the showrunner episodes. So, you know, they're confident enough to step in and say, okay, this is that new toy that Hasbro asked us to put in a few episodes back. This is what she's going to be like. Yeah. So, yeah. No, she's, uh, she's kind of not, you know, she's not, she's disrespectful towards authority, but she is still going along with what Megatron wants for now, at least. For now. Yes. Yeah, so Tigatron is basically out of the episode now. He's full of cyber venom. Poor guy. But uh, luckily, Cheetor is there. And also, there is a Peregrine Falcon there, so spoilers as to what the new Maximal is yeah. going to be. And, and it's not just a yeah. model they created for this episode. That bird has been in previous episodes, usually eaten by Terrorsaur. Also, oh, right. luckily, Cheetor yeah. is there is one of those phrases you don't hear that often. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> it's true. But it is actually totally true this time. Yes. He saved the day by being remarkably selfless. Yeah. yeah well, I because, could see him being selfless. Yeah, the uh, the pod needs a locking chip from, from somebody, and Rhinox needs hands to be able to uh, fix this thing, so it's going to have to come from Cheetor. Yes. Yeah, and it's... The most ever, the entire series is predicated upon, oh, we have to be in beast modes because we can't walk around because there's energon leaking... And yet Rhinox spends most of this episode in robot mode. Admittedly, well, he, he, like, shuts down whatever protocols and... Well, he he, he diverts power from his weapon systems to his Energon shields. Yeah, which yeah. sounds like normal Trek talk that might work, except oh, yeah, for that. the fact that his weapons are actually separate things. They're not part of his body. They're giant chains. Well, they, maybe it's they're gonna be powered into by him something. somehow. I, I guess, maybe. It's... It works in this scene, but when you think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm, we're going by Star Trek rules here, and by Star Trek rules, you can divert power from anything to power anything. 
and he, yeah. And he's sort of splitting between Scotty and, and Bones. Dr. Rhinox is on the job. Yeah, that's something that you see sometimes with Transformers, where they, especially in settings where they are more robots than aliens, and you get that crossover mechanic physician sort of thing going. Yes. And and Rhinox is definitely very much in that category. Okay, so uh, Cheater has to shut down a little during this, and while doing so has one of his... Weird, trippy, somewhat prophetic dreams that he often has. Nifty, fish-eyed trippiness. Although, yes, I kind of got the impression from this one that it, he was hallucinating the visuals, but was still hearing. But then the yeah. end of the episode seems to contradict that. Yeah, kind. It's it's very weird. Like it makes sense because wait, doesn't does Rhinox plug himself into Cheetor, or is he just taking something out? He's just no, taking he's stuff just out. Taking something out. But, I don't know. It, it, it he later feels... plugs himself into the stasis pod. Oh, yeah. It, it, but it feels like it is. It's Rhinox talking to Cheetor in what, to me, might be the best animated scene so far. It's very nice. But it, it's a psychedelic info dump, and Rhinox yeah, is explaining... Yeah, if you're Rhinox may as well make it look cool. Yeah, Rhinox yeah. is explaining to Cheetor... And the audience, what a spark is, which which was the start of our episode, kind of. Well, one would one would have Cheater to would know about this. Yeah, maybe he does, and he's just like sort of dream remembering when he was told about this as a little bitty kitten. Yeah, that's possible. Maybe he's Probably remembering when Redhawk gave him the talk about the birds and the bees <laughs> and the glowy energy balls. Well, yeah, in the dream sequence, Cheetor does seem a lot smaller than Redhawk, so maybe. Maybe it's a flashback that fits in with what's happening right now. It, it's a cool scene. Yeah. And, you know, it gives us the rudimentary, you know, every, every dude from Cybertron has a spark. They're what, they're what makes us unique. Mm-hmm. You know, when one goes online, it's great. When one uh, is extinguished, it's bad. It's sad. Yes. The universe weeps. That is, that is really neat. I was surprised that you referred to the species as Cybertrons and not Cybertronians. Yeah, that's that's the only part of it that's off. I have heard that used before, though. I think it... Well, mostly in Japanese stuff. Yes, it's Japanese. Hmm. Well, I think in Japanese, aren't the Cybertrons, that's the Autobots, right? Yes. Yeah, and the Destrons are the Decepticons. But then it's the Sabertron is like the entire planet. It's Right. It's a weird difference that's difficult to make sense of if you don't speak Japanese. Yeah. So, so while this episode is creating one of the biggest, most important things about Transformers lore, the spark, it it should be retconned to Cybertronians instead of Cybertrons. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Language it's shift. Fine. Language shift. Maybe it's like the difference between human and earthlings. Yeah. Human and humanoid. Yeah. Human and I homo mean, sapiens. Maybe a turbo fox would be considered a Cybertronian. That's true. But it wouldn't be one of the sentient dominant race. And it is interesting that instead of cyber, that they could have just used Transformers in there. Yeah. Yeah. They were still, the writers they, I think were still getting a little bit of a handle on what what they had gotten into at this yeah. point. Have they called themselves Transformers on screen in the time that we've been doing this? I'm actually not sure if they have. Oh, wow. That, that's kind of like a modern common Rider thing, where they are common Riders, but don't call themselves common Rider. Maybe. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. And I, even, you know, I think that first, uh, I think that first, like, Michael Bay movie, I don't think it uses Transformer anywhere in it. Yeah, well. <gasps> and it's kind of a goofy name. It yeah. also doesn't use things like writing or <laughs> common uh, The first one was written. I John Rogers like wrote the first script for that, and it actually was a decent first script. First one's not The great. second one that literally wasn't written due to the writer's script. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's kind of amazing how much of a masterpiece the first one looks like compared to the others. <laughs> well, that, that's because the first one is just a remake of Small Soldiers. Well, yes, there's that. <laughs> Oh, God, it totally is. Down to the casting of the father. Jeez, <laughs> right, Kevin Dunn is in that, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, man, if, if only Phil Hartman had been alive. Uh, yeah. In Transformers. 
I mean, if only <laughs> Phil Hartman had been alive for a variety of reasons. Well, yeah. yeah. And what could have been if they cast Tommy Lee Jones as Megatron? <laughs> that would have been pretty great. I have trouble seeing Tommy Lee Jones agreeing to that. I mean, I guess he did do Small Soldiers, but... <laughs> he did do whichever Batman that was. Oh, that's true, and he's hilariously oh, yeah. terrible in that Batman. Yeah, as is everyone and everything. I'm still kind of annoyed that he replaced... Uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, Lando Calrissian. Yeah. yeah, he replaced uh, Lando Calrissian, and I feel horrible for not remembering his real name. Billy <laughs> Williams. Well, don't feel p- too bad for Billy D. He still got paid for it. Well, hey, uh-huh. there you go. Because I guess you know, Contract. I guess he was—he knew his Batman well enough to know that if you know, if I'm playing Harvey Dent in this movie, they're probably bringing me back for this one. So I'm going to uh, make sure that if they cast somebody else's Two Face, I'm still going to get paid. Sweet. <laughs> Good move, Billy. Good job, Billy D. Williams. That's right. Kept, kept him in Colt 45 for another couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> I thought doing the ads for Colt 45 kept him in Colt 45. <laughs> that too. Anyway, so Shooter wakes up from his exposition nap and, you know, he wants to tell Rannox all about the crazy dream he had, but uh, Rannox is uh, not having it. He's busy. He's busy. He's got things to do. He's got lives to save. That's right. They only have 8.6 cycles to fix it or the protoform is going to die. However long that is. That's, I am going to assume <laughs> minutes here. It could be like a month. <laughs> be a few hours. Did we? Oh, was it minutes or was it? It's minutes. Yeah, it's minutes. I looked it up a few episodes ago. It was minutes as the equivalent unit scale to cycles. Huh. And then there's mega cycles and then some other things. Yeah. Giga cycles. And unfortunately, uh, Black Arachnid chooses this time to arrive and Cheetor can't really go into robot mode much because he has no energy on protection. But he is in it for quite a bit, though. But. Yeah. Well, he manages to shoot a bunch of rocks on her, and then he starts to overload. I, I liked how pissed off she was at having rocks dropped on her. Like, yeah. you may pull that sort of thing on Waspinator, but I am not Waspinator. You do not do that to me. <laughs> I use pronouns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have an IQ in the triple digits, thank you. I know some food. Yeah, Part of form switching back from the, the whole melty, pliable energy form to the stable robot thing when Shidor woke up was pretty neat. Yes. Yeah. And I, I can't decide if I think that the stabilized robot form looked female, because it, it sort of vaguely did, but well, arguably so. Kind of, well, the... The spark is sort of where the stomach would be, but there's a big depression around it, which yeah. kind of gives a feminine form. There, there's, like, almost no spine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it looks about as feminine as regular Airazor does. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. true. And so that may be just a an Airazor thing, is that she yeah, is... You know, she's you she's know, got that girlish figure. Big bird she's a slim, athletic woman. Yes. Not a voluptuous one like some other characters we could mention. Although Cheetor is calling her ugly at this point, so yeah, uh, huh. yeah, I'm wondering about Cybertronian standards of beauty based on that. I'm just because I, of the spider thing, or I have some various He's thoughts gonna... about that because it is interesting, and I I think once we get to the trigger, I'm going to say you know finally say my piece on Black Arachnia. But I think it's very interesting that for being such a visually over-sexualized character, she doesn't really seem to be, like, exceptionally attractive to any of the other characters, except, I guess, Tarantulas, and then later Silverbolt, and then there's sort of the whole puberty thing with Cheetor. Yeah, I think it's just... And you're just really going to just your still- own point there, too. Yeah. yeah, I think Cheetor's just still in his girls are icky stage. Yeah, that that may be a lot of it, but it's it's it strikes me as very interesting that for such a sexualized looking character, she's not like that. Do, the writing the writing doesn't seem to notice that. Yeah, and I, I'm okay with that. I don't want yeah. everybody text averying it out over her. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think that's just fine. I'm perfectly happy with that, but I do think it's interesting because yeah. in, you know, in, in many other settings, yeah, they would have been, 
you know, that would have been a plot point. Because, well, well, you don't want a cat Tex Averying over her. You, you want a wolf. Yeah, the, he uh, shows actually, up later. Um, attraction, it, it might be based upon alt mode, because he's a cat, she's a bug, doesn't like that, but Tarantulas likes, ooh, another bug. Well, yeah, then... there's Silverbolt, who is half bird and half dog. Okay, it does and break down weird. And Tigatron and Air Razor. But but there are at least there there are examples of this in in other series like in Robots in Disguise the first one one of the car guys was attracted to red cars like <laughs> and not transformer cars just regular red cars which I think burn. makes him a sex criminal. Yeah. <laughs> Sideburn has some some issues there. There's some consent issues he needs to work out. Like that guy is going to get busted by the. Uh, Transformers equivalent of to catch a predator on a Ford Lincoln Mercury dealership. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it does remind me a little bit. So one of my freelance jobs right now is as a romance editor, and they they do specify in there that necrophilia with actual dead bodies is not cool, but the living dead are okay. Likewise, bestiality versus lycanthropy. And really what it comes down to, it doesn't say this in the guidelines, but ultimately, if you think about it, what it comes down to is, can the thing consent? (laughs) Vampires can consent. Werewolves can consent. Actual wolves and corpses cannot. Actual red, red, plain old human cars cannot consent, and that's what's wrong with that. I mean, it's it's not... I, you know, they're, they're cars, so they're just things. So it's, yeah. it's not that he's doing anything untoward them, it's just that it's gross. <laughs> oh god, I have the most horrible thought in my head now. And it's Sideburn just saying, look at her, she's a Ferrari, she was asking for it. <laughs> I know, I said that was the worst. I'm sorry at for least, saying it. So, so we're gonna do that show after we do Beast Machines, right? I do have one of the UK DVD sets that has some of the episodes that weren't released. Let's not. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. after Armada, we would have to do Energon. The first half of Energon is better than people give it credit for, mostly because the second half of Energon is even worse than people remember. Frozen <laughs> Inferno. Frozen. <laughs> Oh no, Prometheus. I kind of want us to do that now just so we can identify the exact point where the localization team gave up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're going to throw this through Google Translate and that's it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, so let's I I think we're we're going to be not doing that thing. Yeah. Um, luckily we are that's watching Beast Wars and this is and this is a pretty cool fight scene. Yes. It is. I love the unnecessary backflips. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, we haven't seen her using the kung fu a lot, and luckily she kind of uses it sparingly, but I do really love that she che- that she headbutts Cheetor. Yes. That's great. He deserves also, it. So I love the best thing from the entire fight sequence to me was Cheetor jumping out from cover with his eyes turned off firing wildly, and then having them <laughs> slowly come back on and looking to see if he hit anything. Yes. That was pretty adorable. And then he gets headbutted. Yes. Because maybe he should have been paying attention. Mm-hmm. But luckily, he's still got those fast reflexes as he manages to turn the cyber venom dart uh, back on Black Rackney herself. So she's out of the fight. Yep. Yeah. Good. That was actually pretty impressive of him. Yeah. Does this technically mean Cheetor is a more competent fighter than Tigatron? Wow. Um, well, uh, well no, Tigatron is a lot younger. Being attacked, sort of, but possibly. And also, maybe how. she was tired. Maybe it was a crossbow. That's true. Anyway, so threats over, but it's not because Waltonator and Terrasaur are also there. Yay, the cavalry! Yay! Wait, no. Yeah, no, the, the bad cavalry. Oh. Yeah. I like the Waspinator as who dares attack Waspinator. Like everybody dares Waspinator. <laughs> Come on! Yeah. 
You get a literally text. everybody. Yes. <laughs> Stupid waspinator. He's so great. I love him. He's the best. Yeah. And he's the one who gets knocked out of the fight first as uh, Tudor manages to lure him over one of those Energon geysers. And so he gets hilariously bug zapped. Yes. Yep. Again, he gets off kind of lucky in this episode. Yeah, it's not as slapsticky as a lot of his deaths. Yeah, you know, he just gets, you know, beat. Yeah. And it's not nearly as horrible as what ends up happening to Pterosaur. Oh, yes. oh yeah, Pterosaur is just... Okay. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, while all this is going on, Rhinox is trying to do something by hooking his something up to the stasis pod. Yeah, like the computer isn't working and it has to run off his internal computer. To yeah, what it seems to be something. doing is uh, his... The programming that allows him to scan alt modes, that seems to be damaged on the stasis pod. So whether he's uploading, like copying his own program over, he seems to be copying it over because he, you know, he disconnects from it and it's still able to do it. Yeah, he just sort of yeah. boots it up, but but in the process, almost killing himself to get it to turn on. Yes, apparently this causes him a great deal of strain. Poor guy. It looks like- it looks like the comedy version of somebody accidentally electrocuting themselves. Yes. Yeah. You know, we, we don't get to see his robot skeleton, but <laughs> apart from that, that is basically what it looks like. It looks like it super hurts. And so he yeah. collapses. And now the stasis pod does have its scanner ready, but there's nothing there to scan because it's a desolate wasteland. Oops. Oh, no. So the stasis pod keeps beeping like a hospital heart rate monitor. <laughs> As yes. Pterosaur shows up and is just like, I win because everyone else is stuck in beast mode or dead. I like that Pterosaur refers to it as his stasis pod. Like, what are you going to do with it? Well, maybe well, like, Tarantula's got to make himself a girlfriend, so I'm going to find some Pterosaur bones. <laughs> it's like, I have found, or I have gotten the stasis pod. It's like, Pterosaur, what are you even going to... Well, I mean, you know? I guess... The Predacons don't really know the severity of the situation here, so there's I don't I can't imagine there's time to reprogram it, and I doubt yeah. the Terrorist even knows how to reprogram it. Oh, it would so be great he's if just gonna right. get, so he's just gonna get a dead <laughs> stasis pod. Maybe expects he's gonna do like what uh, they end up doing with Quick Strike, where it's just kind of okay. Maximal wakes up, they have enough head trauma and are naive enough that the Predacons being there when they wake up makes them work. Yes. They, they managed to convince them. He's just going to talk them into it. Yes. But unfortunately, at the last minute, uh, that bird drops by, and uh, we've got a new Maximal. Yep. Yay! Screeching. Yes, lots of screeching. Yes, that and is... Because, uh, and because it's her first episode, she gets to beat up Pterosaur, which I guess... Oh, I mean, there there are more impressive things you can do in your first episode, but... The extent to which she did it was very impressive. Oh, man, she drags him around in bird mode, and then finally, Missile dismembers him, so that his body parts just rain in from the sky. He just gets gifted in, like... I think he's been reduced to the most amount of pieces that anyone has so far. Yeah, that's like Waspinator so. levels of destruction in yeah. there. Oh, yeah. So. yeah, in later episodes, Waspinator hasn't been as beat up as much so far. No, that's really going to start in, like, season two. Yeah. Pterosaur just gets wrecked. Yeah. There was that one episode where Pterosaur wrecked Megatron. Yeah, but... True. He, he and was, this is still worse than that. Yeah, it's worse, because <laughs> in that episode, at least, like, his head and most of his limbs were still sort of attached, at least by cables... This is like complete dismemberment. Like, like, all of his ball joints had been ripped off. Yeah. And then some. This like one, you, yeah, you're, you're going to need to glue them together, maybe. Yeah, you may need some glue. And some extra parts. Yes. And instruction manual. Just find a junker pterosaur somewhere and build a new one. I do love that shocked expression on his severed head. Oh. <laughs> There are some really good shots in, well, when Waspinator was chasing Cheetor and, and when Pterosaur and Air Razor are having their fight, it's really good, like, following shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I really like Air Razor. Yeah, so our new, our new Maximal's Air Razor, voiced by Pauline Newstone, yes. who, I think, was she Frieza on uh, Dragon Ball? Yes, she was the what? Canadian Frieza. 
Because I think, I I forget whether we went over this before, because it is relevant to Beast Wars, that originally the Dragon Ball Z sub had that Canadian Vancouver-based cast. Did they get a freeze? I don't remember that. In the U.S., they switched over to the Funimation Fort Worth, Texas-based cast. But didn't, I believe in Canada, they continued with the... With the Canadian cast. Yes, they, they did. They probably could have justified it just by, by doing that to meet the Canadian media standards. Yes. yes. Oh, how far did it go in Canada? At least to Frieza. I'm, I didn't oh. watch much of it after that. Oh, I guess I, I remember mostly, well, it's like, it was where I first recognized Scott McNeil as Scott McNeil as Piccolo. Yeah, it used to be uh, like on before or after Beast War, so I saw a lot of it, and I know that, yeah, yeah uh, Cheetor was the original Goku. Yeah. And one of the Home for Infinite Losers guys is just Terrorsaur. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, Pauline Newstone was Frieza, which uh-huh. just amused me to no end. I have a just a straight up woman voicing this character. Well, and they replaced her with another woman. Yeah, it's fair. Frieza's this this usually this creepy little old woman sounding voice. Yes. And she was Ocean also the voice Gr- of uh, Canadian Clearasil commercials. <laughs> huh. Oh, great. Just using the Air Razor voice, which was weird. Oh, yeah, that sounds a little Clean weird. and clear and under control. <laughs> we don't get a whole lot of her in this episode. No. I, we'll talk a little more about her in the spark when she actually gets to do stuff other than murder Terrasaur. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she, uh, she goes back to the Axelon, she meets everybody. Uh, Rattrap gets one line just to be a dick to her. <laughs> yes. That Rattrap. And Tigatron's there in the base for only the second time? Well, he has to be fixed, right? Because he oh, got yeah. all that cyber venom. Yeah. Yeah, he got all beat up. Poor guy. And, and Rhinox is acting like a proud papa. Yes, yes it's so cute. <laughs> And he repeats that line that, uh, you know, about uh, when a spark comes online, there is great joy. And so, Cheetor's like, wait, what? Hey. Hey, are you repeating material that soon? <laughs> well, because Cheetor just has precognitive dreams. It's weird. It, they never, it never comes up, but this is the second time it's happened. Well, he does. It's, yeah, it's never anything relevant. Not really. No, I, I mean, know. it's. It's just like deja vu, really. He has yeah. dreams that end up giving him deja vu, but not <laughs> anything useful. Well, yeah. we have established that some Transformers can have superheroes from back in G1. Not superheroes, that superpowers. So maybe he just has a really crappy superpower. <laughs> <laughs> he has precognitive dreams, but never of anything important. Exactly. And uh, I suppose, should we note here that in the uh, Japanese localization of Beast Wars, Air Razor is a dude? Yeah. yeah that's uh, weird. And the toy is pretty androgynous. Yeah, it could go either way. I'm pretty sure it's not just that she's a dude, but that she's a boy. Yes. I mean, she's, like, young. Yeah. She's, and like, kind of, squire uh, to Tigatron's yes. samurai thing. Kind of unseemly. <laughs> well, samurai, you know, I, I, there was some of that going on sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it's a male-male relationship. It's just that, you know, I guess Harry is portrayed as difference. very young. Yeah. Yes, the implied age differences. Whereas there okay. is a lot of, uh, there's a great, and then, you know, obviously they're both the same age more or less in the show, and also Polly Newstone does not sound particularly young. No. No. But yes, in the Japanese version, again, there's this whole consent thing that consent is important, guys. Consent is important. All right. Rat trap is Pikachu in the Japanese dub too. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, These are things I didn't need to know. I'm just gonna go drink to forget. Sounds like a good plan. I'll join you. Alright, so, uh, is there anything else we need to discuss in regards to the Spark? No. Introduces Sparks, that's good. Otherwise, it's just another new character episode, which is... It's well, okay. it's a new... 
it's a new female character episode. And, right. and I'd like to point out that this was the second female character we got, which puts it way ahead of most Transformer series, uh, yeah. even today. Yep. Yeah. It was and like even, one had some, but they weren't toy characters. They well, were and they weren't in multiple episodes. They were guest yeah, stars. They were, they were basically just, there was an episode that was like, hey, look, they were they were a gimmick for one episode. Yeah. They were that episode's gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Like, some episodes you have the Dinobots being created. Some episodes you have, like, an island somewhere doing some weird stuff. Some episodes you have girls. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah it's like, I'm trying to think of other series that have a consistent... Well, most series nowadays, they have a token woman character. Yeah, and okay, I guess fine. Robots in Disguise has a recur as you know a lead female character. Yeah, and then and it's had one female villain. Yeah, that's what I was trying and, to think about. Like, how many other shows have had a female villain who's like there a lot of the time? And the only one I could think of is Cybertron. Sadly, I love yeah, that. I guess, I guess Prime has a recurring female villain. Yeah, yeah, and I guess mm. Animated also had a recurring female villain. Yeah. <laughs> And, I mean, I guess we know that there are more female characters coming up in Robots in Disguise that we haven't seen yet. Oh, yeah. Have West- yes. episodes aired? I, I they have all aired in Australia, so yeah. I have seen them all. I'm not even I sure. Have not. I, I will I not know that, spoil. I know that there's a, a second female villain coming up voiced by, I think, the mom from Sister Sister. <laughs> okay. Okay. It, it will, the show will eventually pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. And it might have in that episode with uh, Filch. I mean, I guess that depends on who call. Filch was addressing Shiny to. Yes. <laughs> Whether she was addressing Strongarm when she said that at any point. Filch is like a Pokemon, almost. I love her, and I wish that she was more I wish of a she character. Did more. Yeah, but... I like that that's not, like... Again, like I was saying with Black Arachnia, where her being female isn't like the entire point of her character, even though it is the entire point of her design. I do like with Filch that really her gender is a completely side, unrelated thing. Yeah. I just wish more of the characters in Rid were like that. I really like her because... Well, there... I will say that there will be another female villain who shows up whose gender primarily just seems related to or tied to alt mode. Right. Because I, I know, spoiling a little, she, she's like bee-themed, right? Yes. So, so it makes sense like, that she's a lady. So she's like a queen bee. Uh, right. So that's really, you know, even that's all right. I just really like Filch because I'm really into Corvids lately. <laughs> so, and she's a female Ooh. character who is also like a Corvid of some description. And, and, she, and she shares their predilection for stealing shiny things. Yes. And so I just, I want to see more of her and have a toy of her, and I just really like <laughs> her. Uh, well, if you want a toy of the female character, or any of the villain characters in uh, the new Robots in Disguise, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, he's made of sex. Okay, he's he's a really nice toy, but you get, kind of, you, you get the one steps, or maybe... Big one. Yeah, I saw the the one step thunder hoof. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm tempted. I'm, there is allegedly a warrior toy him in the pipeline, and I'm tempted with yeah. by that because I just want a tiny robotic Frank Stallone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just want a tractor. We, and also, <laughs> just a tractor. He's like a he's like a deer guy. Yeah, the deer guy's kind of neat, but it's tractor. And, uh, he's, like, the, and he's and he's the space mafia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this but has been yes, Stasis was... Pod, the Robots in Disguise podcast. <laughs> yes. I mean, my my point is that having a a second female character like this, I mean, I I don't think I had been spoiled for that when I went into watching the episode, so I was very very happy when uh, she showed up and and was a female character. And there there were a few botcons that that Bob Forward and Larry Dottilio were at. And the thing that we learned pretty quickly with Larry Dottilio was it seemed a lot like it was more important for him 
to tell a good story than a true story. <laughs> so, like, when he was talking about how the transmetals were going to have sparks that were like little virtual pet Tamagotchi sort of things, because that was right after Hasbro had, had bought Tiger Electronics, and that, of course, was <laughs> clearly not, not a thing that ever happened. <laughs> but But he did, one of the things he said that you know, due to his nature as an engaging storyteller may have to be taken with, with a grain of salt. But in this case, I buy it that, that, uh, you know, when Hasbro came to them and said, Hey, can you put this toy in the show? They said, can we make it a woman? And Hasbro was kind of like, eh, fine. So the Airazor toy was not really designed to be female, which, you know, if you look at it, yeah, you can see that. Uh, allegedly, when Hasbro came to them with Black Rachnia, they were also like, so it's a Black Widow, so this one's a female character, right? And Hasbro was like, sure. <laughs> yeah, we hadn't put that much thought into it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. Well, so, I mean, it, it was definitely... Bob Ford and Larry Dottilio, who I want to just always refer to as Bob and Larry, because on, you know, in the fandom, they became just Bob and Larry. But uh, it, it was definitely through their urging that, you know, we got the female characters we did in Beast Wars. It wasn't really Hasbro's doing at all. And uh, but of course, Hasbro embraced it enough that they went on to make a, a transmetal air razor, even though she wasn't in the show at that point and that toy wasn't in the show and it it was you know it meant a lot to me as a female collector at the time because this was when i was about 18 when this is coming out uh, i was sort of old enough to appreciate the stuff going on behind the scenes and i really loved air razor showing up and and being revealed as a female character and it's just no big nobody's like oh my god a girl what's this a woman <laughs> and and she was this very sort of low-key tomboyish sort of character which you could even get some idea of from her first episode because again it's she's not like Black Arachnia, she doesn't have big, shiny, chrome, gold boobs hanging out. <laughs> so it I, it meant a lot to me. I I did go to Toys R Us pretty much seriously every day waiting for that toy to, came, to come out. And as I've been going through my collection and selling off a lot of stuff lately, uh, because as I said, I'm currently working as a freelance editor, so I have no money. But I... I found her toy and I've got it among a handful of others on my coffee table that I've been sort of fiddling with again because she's great. I like her a lot. I wish that she had gotten to be on the show more, but we'll later. Uh, but, but yeah, it meant a lot to me to have her show up. So this episode means a lot to me, even beyond the, you know, introduction of the spark concept. Okay. And also, I will note that I like her design, even though her head kind of makes her look like Hawkman. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can see that. Did, does she actually have a nose? Yeah. No, it's kind of covered up by the her beak helmet yeah, the, thing. Yeah, the beak kind of fills in for it, so she doesn't... Really which I guess makes her a precursor to uh, current Transformers design, which are frequently noseless. Yeah, yeah, when we have noses now, it's like, wow, that's weird. That's, that's kind of a, a proto-prime design. I... I like, I think it was Alex Milner, somebody, but somebody, maybe it was Sarah Stone. Somebody drew a, a sketch of what they said was, you know, IDW verse knockout. And the only real difference was that he had a nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's drawing up the comics now, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And he has a nose. That's pretty yep. much the only difference is that he has a nose. Cause they have noses. <laughs> but yeah, she was. She was a, a precursor to that design of not having noses on Transformers for some reason. All right, so I think uh, I think that should do it for the Spark. Uh, until next time, you can uh, find us on Tumblr at stasispod.tumblr.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at stasispod. And uh, now you can find us on Facebook uh, under stasispod or the Beast Wars podcast. And we are hosted on iaconunderground.net. 
Yes, and you can also find us, if you prefer, on iTunes. And, of course, uh, if you'd like to let us know about uh, how you feel about uh, Sparks or Female Transformers or Cheetor's bad catchphrases, uh, uh-huh. drop, us a, drop, us a, drop a line to the Maxim Mailbag at stasispodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll uh, we'll read your letter on the show. We want some letters. We haven't gotten any. Yep. Send yes. us letters. I know writing and not just tweeting at people has gone the way of the dodo, but... You can I also tweet at us. We might read those on the show. Oh, yeah, we yeah, might. Yeah, Honestly, if you send us, you know, like a, like a letter with, uh, like, bits of, like, with, like, letters cut out from magazines, we'd probably read that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so send us your insane uh, manifestos. Um, <laughs> I... Mm. I would love it, some insane manifestos. Can it be an insane manifesto about robots? That'd be okay. Well, I mean, obviously that would be preferable. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we're not. You know, this is a Beast Wars podcast. We're not going to be able to do much about the confluence between the reptilians, the chemtrails, and the Bilderberg group. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was on another podcast like this last week. Oh, that's right. If you if you'd like to hear even more of David, he's on another podcast talking about uh, the Gundams. Yeah, yeah, yes. well, and, well this, I, I believe this, that's uh, like when you put a bunch of guns in a river to uh, prevent it from flowing. It's a, it's a gun dam. No, no, it's giant robots in Japan, specifically the new series that's coming in October, um, Gundam: Iron Blooded Orphans. Okay, so is that one going to have like uh, Gelgoogs and uh, Zagoks in it? No, no, there's there's Gundams and there's well, uh, maybe some Ack guys. Oh, I love Act guys. guys. Oh, they're so adorable. No, there hasn't been that much announced beyond the Gundam itself. There's been uh, only one, like one other suit basically shown off everywhere. That it kind of looks like a skinnier version of the Leo from Gundam Wing. But, uh, Will there be some so sort of gym? That... <laughs> so you're telling me there's yeah, a chance of Galgooks? Uh, probably not. It, it's not Universal Century, so no. Cloudy with a chance of Gelagoos. Well, we'll but gems. I need gems. There will probably be something gem-like, GM-like. Okay. Would you accept a guy named Jim? There's like five Maybe. different character, five different mecha designers on the show. I mean, really, a guy named Jim is a huge step up from most of Gundam naming the, conventions. Yeah. Oh, there are some really good names in. Well, the, the main character is named Mikazuki, which means uh, crescent moon or something, and he's got a friend named Orga. Which is kind of wonky. He's named after a Godzilla monster. But the best character name so far, Biscuit Griffin. <laughs> what? He's a fat guy. He's probably going to be a mechanic. But but oh, yeah, he's a fat guy named Biscuit. That's embarrassing. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I'm on episode 13 of the Cockpit. You can find it at uh, www.spaceoperasatellite.com. As well, they they also have a podcast talking about Legend of the Galactic Heroes too, which I'm not on, but that's amusing. All right, so until next time on uh, the Stasis Pod, I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. I'm a Gundam. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you had fun. Yes. Now have your plans, and uh, we'll let you out of your editing box again sometime next year. That's right. to Gundam names, the, the Gundam character from Canada is named Andrew Graham. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good name. The American so one is guy... Chibody Crockett. Yeah, it's better exactly. than Chibody Crockett. Well, no, because it's just a totally normal guy name. So <laughs> the future Canada probably does have a guy named Jim. <laughs> well, th- That's there is, true. There is a I'm guy still in... stuck on the new Gundam series being named after hemophiliacs in the foster care system. <laughs> no, the, the, there is a there is a Gundam character named Jim Jim Gingham who in uh, the Gundam Musou games is voiced by Scott McNeil. Yay! I, Yay! We made it relevant to the show again. Uh, that that's in Turn A. I I forget if Turn I don't think Turn A has a dub, but it's been put out recently on DVD. 
That's the one where the main Gundam has like a big mustache, right? Yeah, that that it has butterfly wings and and the main character ends up cross-dressing a few times. I love turn A. They wanted to make the main character a girl, but Bandai wouldn't let them, so they just made it super girly. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that that must have been real hard. Yeah, well... Making an anime character super girly. It it is rather big tradition in, in at least a few other Gundam series where... Main main characters, if not the main character, ends up in a dress. Yeah. Uh, happened to Judo in uh, Double Zeta. Uh, Tyria Erde in Double O. Well, th- there there are characters in there that that like they don't have a gender, so they can be either. And Tyria is one of them. Huh. Most of the time, he's a dude. Fantasy Seven, or wait, I'm getting my franchises mixed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, that's fun anyway. I, I was on another podcast. I didn't have to edit it. It was fun. <laughs> 